I think it's always helpful to share with colleagues what, uh, what is the benefit of developing a culture of service. Um, so understanding what that desirable outcome is and then working your way back to understand what your individual role can be in achieving that objective. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Talent Playbook Podcast. My name is Jason Ferrara. I'm the Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at Outmatch and your host for the podcast. Our podcast focuses on strategies for transforming your world of work. So during each podcast, we highlight someone who's transformed their organization or industry in a significant way. Today's guest is Michelle Miller-Burns, the President and CEO of the Minnesota Orchestra. What a great time I had talking to Michelle. You know, her career has taken her from Chicago to Dallas and on to Minnesota. So during that journey, uh, Michelle's been able to focus on culture and really make that a cornerstone of her leadership. So listen for her description of the culture that she learned at the Newberry Library in Chicago and then took to the Dallas Symphony and is now taking to the Minnesota Orchestra. She also discusses mentors and the wisdom they imparted to her and how that now informs her own expectations of her teams. And she talks about the metrics she uses to measure success. It's the first time someone has ever said musical excellence as one of the metrics. So pretty interesting stuff there. I'm sure you'll enjoy Michelle's insight. Without further delay, here's the Talent Playbook Podcast with Michelle Miller-Burns. Hey, Michelle, thanks for being on the podcast. Really excited to have you as a guest and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Me too. Thanks for having me, Jason. So I think the first thing I'd like to do is have you talk a little bit about your your job. So what's your role? What uh, organization do you work for? You know, I don't think our listeners no, so it would be nice to to start that way and build some context around that. So tell us a little bit about your role and the and the organization you work for. So I am the president and CEO of the Minnesota Orchestra, which is an organization that started well over a hundred years ago here in Minneapolis, and it serves the entire state of Minnesota and has not just a local and regional reputation, but a national and international reputation due to the artistic excellence of the musicians and our music director and uh, those who make our concerts happen on stage week in and week out and serving our audiences um, year round here in Minneapolis and around the world. Well, I'll tell you, you're the you're the first person I have interviewed who is the CEO of a 100-year-old company. So uh, congratulations. <laughs> I know you haven't been there for 100 years. However, uh, pretty impressive, pretty impressive run and one I'm sure you're really excited to to be directing in a way. Well, I am. It's an honor to be in this role. Uh, the orchestra was actually founded in 1903, so uh, well beyond 100 years. And uh, soon we'll be making plans for uh, 125th anniversary season, which is really exciting. Uh, there are about 1,900 orchestras in North America, 
and the top 19 or 20 of those um, have a group that gets together so that our my counterparts at those other 20 orchestras have an opportunity to visit with each other um, electronically on a regular basis, by phone on about a quarterly basis, and then uh, at national meetings a couple of times a year. So uh, the orchestra world is a very connected one, and therefore there's a lot of really terrific information that we can share with each other. And as a new president and CEO, uh, that group has been a really wonderful resource and, uh, and support uh, as you head into a position and into a field that, um, you know, you're looking at nationally, only about 19 other people have this role yeah. um, in, this, in this business. So I, got, I have follow-up questions to that, but uh, before, before we do that, so t- talk a little bit about the the scope of your responsibility um you know when when you and i first met we were talking about orchestras i really think about the the musicians on the stage but there's a lot more to it than that so talk a little bit more about about that scope of responsibility absolutely well and first and foremost as you point out are the musicians on the stage and the music making that takes place in the organization that is the core of our mission is to create and share music um, with our community. And the community is very broadly defined. Those here who come to concerts at Orchestra Hall in uh, downtown Minneapolis, but also uh, individuals who live in the Twin Cities here and across the state and around the country and the world. Um, So it starts with our music and that is always first and foremost on our minds, but to support the music making um, requires a whole infrastructure, much of it um, non-visible to concert goers. Mm -hmm. And that is the work that is done to uh, raise important funds to support the orchestra and its activities uh, through philanthropy. And that comes from a variety of sources, individuals, corporations, foundations, and government support. We also have uh, ticket sales or what we consider our earned revenue ticket Mm -hmm. sales, sales from concessions, um, when you're having a glass of wine at intermission, for example, in the hall. Uh, We have some merchandise that we sell that is logoed and branded merchandise for the Minnesota Orchestra, also for sale at concerts. And, uh, And then, of course, we market our concerts so that once the important artistic planning work is done, um, there's a team that takes that information and packages um, those programs in a way that then create a narrative for prospective audience members. So how do we attract people to come to Orchestra Hall and to other venues to hear our concerts? So we have a whole team of colleagues who are dedicated to to that work and we have um, information technology, finance, uh, uh, we have artistic staff, operations team, building management, because we own our own building called Orchestra Hall here. Uh, So there are a lot of different um, departments that do important work to promote and support um, and to make possible the concerts that go on on stage. 
we also have uh, our board members, and that is a group of volunteers, generally civic leaders, corporate leaders, uh, people who believe in the importance of the Minnesota Orchestra to this community and who help govern, sorry, help to govern the institution. Uh, and then, of course, we have our concert goers and donors, people who have kind of raised their hand to say, we want to be a part of this experience in one way or another. And we are always grateful to all of those individuals um, for helping us to make it all possible to put concerts on stage and to share music and to have music serve our community. Oh, th thanks for that explanation. I, you know, it's, um, I know there's more to it than what you see when you go to a concert. That was an ex excellent explanation of it. And I think as we, as we, as I think about our, our listening audience, which tends to be corporate, it's really interesting, I think, to hear about all the different pieces that you have that they have as well, right? I mean, I, you know, not a lot of people spend time thinking about IT with the orchestra, but I guarantee that everything from the microphones that are hanging down to the stage, the fact that we can have this conversation right now is somebody's responsible for putting all that on. So it really is important to, to kind of recognize the scope of that is, is, uh, is really great. So thank you. What, what, um, how'd you get, how'd you get started in this, in this career? You know, not everybody, you said, you know, you've got sort of 19 peers. <laughs> how, how did you get to a, get to a place in your career where now you've got 19 peers? <laughs> well, it's been a long road. Um, I won't tell this in real time, I promise, but I am going to start by saying that I started playing the violin when I was four years old and, um, uh, played uh, through elementary school and junior high, and as a freshman in high school, living in the suburbs of Chicago, I auditioned for the Chicago Youth Symphony Orchestra and was fortunate to be accepted into that group and played with the CYSO all through high school. It was a high school only wow. And um, even though my family moved from the suburbs of Chicago to Iowa the middle of my sophomore year in high school. And so my parents committed to make that trip, that drive from Iowa to Chicago every weekend wow. for years, which is about a six-hour drive each way. Yeah. And um, that uh, there's just so much about that that shaped my understanding of commitment, dedication, passion, work ethic. Um, but we can explore that a little bit more perhaps later in the conversation. Yeah. Uh, played in the Chicago Youth Symphony Orchestra. And uh, in my freshman year uh, in CYSO, I had this kind of uh, moment of epiphany where I looked out into the audience when I was on the stage of Orchestra Hall in Chicago um, at a CYSO concert. And I realized that someone was doing something behind the scenes with an orchestra mm -hmm. that I didn't really understand. Um, you know, I hadn't had to drag my chair out onto the stage myself like I had to do with my high school. <laughs> and right. my music was already on the stand and people were reading program books and there were posters out front and somebody was in the box office, you know, uh, taking money for tickets and yeah. handing tickets to people. And it occurred to me, wow, somebody does this. Right. What is this? 
and is it a career? Mm-hmm. And that started my exploration of the field in general. I then um, uh, decided when I had the opportunity to make a choice about where to go to college, I chose Northwestern because I thought it would give me a terrific education in a great music school, but also the proximity of Evanston to downtown Chicago, where there are so many performing arts organizations. And of course, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, mm-hmm. where I um, had an internship in college and, um, and then subsequently applied for a fellowship program that the League of American Orchestras hosted for many, many years and was, uh, again, fortunate to be accepted into that program and did that one-year exploration, a fellowship, working with three different orchestras. And over the course of the year, I got to work in all of the different um, departments, if you will, or areas of orchestra management, most of which I mentioned earlier, um, because those are all the or, or all of the areas that I'm involved with and have managerial oversight right now. Um, other ones that, of course, come to mind that I didn't mention earlier are education, community engagement, public relations. So there's a, such a broad array of important activities that take place at an orchestra. So coming out of this one-year program, I thought, where, is the, where do I think my path is? Mm-hmm. And um, the one thing I knew is that my path was not in development mm. because fundraising or development work uh, – felt to me like you had to have a really outgoing personality and you had to be really comfortable standing up in front of people and talking and, you know, kind of selling the organization. And um, that just did not seem like a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's exactly where I got a offer. <laughs> I was going to say that you just described, uh, you know, the opposite of what you are, because you're very, you're very outgoing and, and easy to talk to and sell the value of the place. And it's, it's really funny that that's what you, your initial thought was. It was indeed. And so I got a job in development at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and, um, and learned that development actually was a really great fit for me, that I loved that experience of being able to work with donors to create their own legacy and uh, ensure that they could have the impact that they wish to have on an organization that means so much to them. And that was relevant, um, you know, to me for many years at the Chicago Symphony, um, but has also been an important guiding light for me in the other places that I have worked, including at the Newberry Library, which is outside of the orchestra field. But that ability to work with with donors to help them realize their own philanthropic objectives is really rewarding work and important lifeblood for uh, nonprofit organizations. So I worked at the Chicago Symphony for 15 years, half of the time in development and half of the time um, in the president's office managing the board of trustees, which at the time I was there was about 140 board members. Um, an invaluable experience. I learned a lot about governance versus management. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I went to the Newberry Library, had an opportunity to manage a team of people for the first time as a vice president for development. And eight years later, I uh, decided I wanted to get back into the orchestra world. You know, what did I, I miss in the time that I was out of it? Um, and it was that 
feeling that I really understood the um, the the mission of the organization. I really understood the nomenclature that an orchestra uses because I've had experience playing in orchestras. I was familiar with um, conductor and composer names and guest artists, and um, it just felt like home to me mm -hmm. to work with an orchestra. So then I had uh, uh, the, uh, the good occasion to go to the Dallas Symphony and uh, re-engage fully with the orchestra field again, taking the tremendous experience and opportunities from the Newberry um, and moving those to Dallas. And, uh, and then ultimately here to the Minnesota Orchestra where I started September 1st of 2018. So just about six months ago. So um, when you went from the Newberry Library, just if you could, when you answer this question, just give a brief description of the of the Newberry. But um, when you went from the Newberry Library back to the symphony, what were some things, or you know, I guess back to a symphony, but you were going to an, a new organization? What were some of the things that you took from the Newberry that you brought to to Dallas with you? But, you know, two 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 different types of organizations, right? So I'm just interested in what kind of those lessons were and and what you you know, put in place in Dallas. Absolutely. So the Newberry Library is an independent research and rare book library in Chicago. Independent meaning it's not connected to a university or any other larger institution, also meaning that it is self-sufficient uh, so that fundraising was a really important part of the support of that organization. Uh, the Newberry, I uh, believe has something for everyone. Um, no matter what your interest is, um, there is something at the Newberry that will capture your imagination. And part of the opportunity there was to, again, do that interesting pairing of what is somebody potentially interested in and what is in the Newberry's collection or in their programs that I can bring that person together with so that they can have a, a really enriching engagement with the Newberry Library. Um, so one of the hallmarks of a library is service, that it is uh, the focus there, what I would describe as the culture of the institution, was a culture of service, making sure that anyone who came through the doors of the Newberry or called um, was uh, was met with warmth and a willingness to dive as deep as you possibly can um, into the subject matter that that person's interested in and inquiring about, um, and to really be able to serve that person's needs. Wow. Um, and we see that in libraries across the country, whether they're public libraries or private libraries or special collections, rare book libraries. That culture of service is um, prominent and um, and and profound uh, at libraries. So that is something that I really um, grabbed onto there and carried with me to the Dallas Symphony Orchestra was to make sure that in the organization um, in Dallas that we as a staff, we as an organization, we're really focused on service and making sure that everyone who connected in any way with the Dallas Symphony Orchestra had a positive experience. 
That is, um, I mean, you know, I, I talk to lots and lots of companies who try to figure out the core of their of their culture and and how to build that and nurture it within their organization is just a really great description of uh, passion as a driver and service as a driver for, for culture. Um, you know, thank you for doing that. And, and I guess, you know, a follow-up question, because, you know, this is, this is probably less about the actual organizations and, and more about the, the steps you take to do that. So like, what are some specific things that you did to to help help employees understand service as a core component of culture. Um, you, know, you know, there are things maybe you experienced at the Newberry that you wanted to do in Dallas, but like, what what were some specifics that you say, boy, this is how we teach people about the importance of service and how to get them to to have that high level of service. I think it's always helpful to share with colleagues what, uh, what is the benefit of developing a culture of service. Um, so understanding what that desirable outcome is and then working your way back to understand what your individual role can be in achieving that objective. Mm. Um, so what do we know about a culture of service is that um, using individuals as the example, individuals who engage with your organization, whether it's a library or an orchestra or a corporation, um, making sure that when they walk away from that experience, they say to themselves, to their friends, their family, their colleagues, um, wow, that organization really made me feel good. I had a wonderful experience there. I want to go back you should come with me. Um, and this is how we develop for an orchestra, how, you know, one of the many ways that we develop an audience is mm -hmm. that great word of mouth. Um, uh, so understanding what, what good can come of committing to a culture of service, so seeing kind of that end game and then working your way backward, how you get to that point where people walk away after experiencing your organization say, wow, that was the best. Um, and so that all of the work that everyone in the organization is doing can be put in that context and can lead to that objective. Um, so I think that one of the things, uh, using a development office as an example, so um, in, the, in the fundraising world, uh, one of the things I learned from a very early mentor of mine at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra was when somebody calls or comes to you and asks the question, asks a favor, wonders if you could do something for them, your immediate reaction is yes. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you have to say, I'll have to figure out <laughs> how to make that happen, right. and I'll get to you. But having that immediate sort of visceral reaction be yes, and I'll figure it out versus, well, no, because X, Y, Z prevents me or no, because, well, I don't think I have the tools to do that or that's going to take too much time or it's not my job. P.S. One of my least favorite things to ever hear <laughs> from anyone, um, colleague or not. Yep. So anyway, those are just a, a couple examples of things that, you know, m making sure that yes, is part of 
the kind of the onboarding process of new colleagues or part of that process of educating colleagues who are already in the organization to, to focus on a, a culture of service, say yes, and then figure out how to make it happen. Um, uh, and also to, you know, have good follow through that it's one thing to say yes, and another thing to say yes and actually make it happen, whether you can make it happen in whole or in part, but just to have a timely follow-up uh, on any sort of request that you receive. The other kind of next step in that is to, once you have that fundamental down, is to uh, work with a team to say, how can you anticipate what, uh, what patrons, what guests, what concert goers are going to want? Um, so when you're asked something to be positive in your response, to be timely, to follow through, but then that next step is how, how can I anticipate needs? Because there's, you know, few things in life more delightful than somebody coming to you and saying, I know you're interested in this, or you like that particular, uh, musician or this guest artist and being able to say, why don't you come with me backstage after the concert and meet that person? Again, this is part of uh, a culture of service and um, it has ramifications and, and is applicable well beyond development and fundraising work. Throughout the entire institution, um, that matters. So those are just a, a couple of things that I think of and ways to work with colleagues to help move an organization into the direction of a culture of service. Wow. Thank you. Uh, those are great specifics and, and great things for, for others to hear. And, and I can vouch for experiencing that culture of service in Dallas um, at the, at the Dallas symphony, um, you know, w where we met, but, uh, but even before we met uh, realizing that, that those things existed and, and there was that culture there. It is, it, you can really, feel it and you can see it on the faces of the people that work there. So you had mentioned that that one of your least favorite things to hear is it's not my job. So um, I think that everybody probably would shake their head and say, yes, that's one of my least favorite things to hear too. So I don't know if we need to talk about what that means, but what, what do you do with somebody who exhibits that sort of behavior? You know, you hear somebody say, oh, well, that's not my job. You know, how do you interact with that person to, to, um, I guess understand their point of view and then and then have them understand yours. Like what do you, what do you do with that? Yeah, gosh, that's that's a fascinating thing to think about. Um, like most circumstances, it depends on the person. What is going to resonate with that particular colleague? Um, what will inspire them to take a different approach? To not think um, just within that box and those particular confines of what uh, you know, what they believe to be their primary job responsibilities. Again, I think that being able to provide a context for um, for every colleague about not just what their particular set of responsibilities are and the expectations around those um, responsibilities, but taking um, taking a a step back with a colleague and saying, here are the institutional strategic objectives mm -hmm. and lay those out and then say it takes every single person 
in the organization working together to achieve those strategic objectives. And so, you know, here are some examples of what I do that, you know, I believe helps move the organization in that direction. And here are some things I observe in the role that you have that can move the organization in that direction and try to provide a broader context for each person's work and experience in the organization. Um, you know, I, I firmly believe that when we are all working at our highest and best use, that's when the organization can most succeed. And so when I started at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra right out of that fellowship program, and I was 20 two years old, yep. and I was, you know, uh, there were many, many days that my job entailed, and this will date me a bit, but putting labels on envelopes, mm -hmm. and in the, you could print onto an envelope, um, putting labels on envelopes and sealing, sealing envelopes and stamping them by hand and doing that kind of um, what seemed to be a little bit routine, maybe a little mundane, very hard to see how stuffing and um, addressing a couple of hundred envelopes actually could move the organization forward. But again, I had a terrific mentor at the Chicago Symphony who provided that broader context for me mm -hmm. and allowed me to understand why it was important. I do that task. And while I was doing that task, then she was doing something else that she uniquely could do in her role. And together, we were helping move the organization forward. A great example. And uh, we've never talked about this, but I had the exact same experience working in my father's business um, as, as a child, right? I mean, there weren't a whole lot of things that I could just be sent off to go do from a, you know, I couldn't do accounting, for example. Um, so I, I spent time in, in the mailroom there, and I re very, very clearly remember talking to my dad about why this job was important to the company and how important the people are who did that job as their profession day in and day out were so important to the company. Um, but I just, just <laughs> when you said that, I had a smile because I had the exact same experience uh, as you did in understanding the the order of things and the organization and how every every piece is important. So I, yeah, you're right. That's how you that's how you um, meet that. It's not my job, and how you get people to understand. You know, well, this is your job. <laughs> this should be part of your job, right? To to have that conversation. So if you're working in an organization that um, that values the culture of service for example, every single person has to be part of that yeah. because as a, you know, as perhaps somebody in an entry level role in the organization, you will run into board members, donors, concert goers, um, in the case of an orchestra, musicians, you'll run into people throughout the organization on a daily basis and how you comport yourself will add to their experience. And when we're trying to create a positive experience for everyone inside and outside of the organization, every single person's important. Yeah. And whether you're smiling at somebody or you're scowling and looking down, 
it makes a difference. And that's just something that I think managers um, uh, have to remember to, to reinforce in positive ways and to provide that real-time feedback to colleagues. You know, when they see something that someone's doing, even something very small that's really positive, to be commenting on it, to observe that, to, to make mention of it to that colleague. Um, and uh, when there are things happening that aren't aligning with that culture of service, to point that out as well in real time. Mm -hmm. um, so the colleague always knows where they stand and always has a sense of, gosh, am, am I doing things that are actually contributing positively to the culture and to the strategic objectives of the organization? So I want to go, I've got two questions that I usually ask earlier in the in the conversation, but I, I definitely want to get to, to one of them. But but you had talked about um, being in the Chicago Youth Symphony Orchestra and, and learning to play the violin, and and it it makes me think about um, the sort of being a practitioner and being a practitioner as something that helps you um, in it you know run or manage an organization. So in this case, it would be you know you. You are a musician. Does that help you run an orchestra better? Uh, the same way that if I was a, a teacher, will I be a better administrator? If I'm a doctor, will I be a better hospital administrator? So, talk talk to me a little bit about you know your experience being a practitioner and what you bring to an organization like the Minnesota Orchestra because you're because you're a practitioner, or or does that even matter? I think it does matter. It certainly matters to me. It has made uh, it has made it. Uh, a more perhaps rewarding and uh, positive experience uh, for me to be able to understand, to have the background where I understand what it means to practice for hours and hours every day, to take the instrument with you on holidays, to play for family at Christmas and um, on other occasions to um, not be able to walk away from it for mm -hmm. periods of time, um, to play, uh, again, in my case, in chamber ensembles uh, and then also in full orchestras to understand uh, what that involves, too, and being, you know, working with colleagues to develop that camaraderie, that teamwork, that nonverbal communication that goes on on stage mm -hmm. to a conductor or a music director. Um, so I think that it certainly to have had that background um, has helped me uh, to do my job better. Uh, but I think that, again, there, the kind of the relationship between practitioner and administrator is really about uh, mutual respect for each other's roles. When does it work well? Well, it works well when, um, you know, the practitioner and the administrator can each imagine the other person's role, um, either because they've had experience doing it or uh, just because, you know, fundamentally you have a sense of what it takes to do each other's job mm -hmm. and have a respect for each other and the challenges that are inherent in each of those roles. Um, and how the organization as a whole will only succeed if together you can um, work 
to achieve those strategic objectives of the organization. Mm -hmm. So I'll just a quick example, and I touched upon this very briefly earlier in our conversation, but when I was at the Newberry Library for eight years, what did I miss most about not being in an orchestra environment? One, I missed the pace of working in an orchestra where there's a deadline mm. constantly because there are always concerts and inherent in that is a deadline mm -hmm. to get things set up so that concert can take place. And also because at an orchestra, I felt that I had a fundamental understanding of the institution, its mission, its product, if you will, mm -hmm. its program in a way that um, I never did at the Newberry. Mm -hmm. I had amazing colleagues at the Newberry that I could engage on a daily basis to educate me, to come with me for meetings with uh, there with prospective donors to talk about whatever subject matter that donor was most interested in. And that was a tremendous partnership that I had with colleagues there who had that deep knowledge and understanding because they were also practitioners in that, in that field. Mm -hmm. I was not a practitioner there. I was an administrator, yeah. but to come back into the orchestra world where I've had experience, not as a professional, but have some experience uh, with an orchestra being a part of an orchestra in an amateur fashion, but that helps shape my perspective my respect, and how I go about my job as an administrator. So I think it's a tremendous benefit. Do you have to have a musical background or have played an instrument to manage a musical organization? No, we certainly know that there are colleagues who um, are very successful and don't have that background. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's been, been very helpful. Well, and and my guess is that your colleagues that don't have that background are there because they understand the culture of service, right? So, so maybe it's not it's not the understanding of boy, I, I played an instrument in an orchestra at some point in my life, so I get it. They really understand that culture of service. There's that they bring to the table as well. I, I think that's right, and um, I certainly don't know of uh, an orchestra manager today who, whether or not they have had that experience of playing an instrument, they they have a love of music yeah, and yeah. an appreciation for what music can do, the power of music to change people's lives. You keep saying things that are great to follow up on, and I feel like we're going to run out of time. I can't follow up on all these great things that you're saying. But uh, so, so let's talk a little bit about your your um, your move to Minnesota. Um, you know, you've you've moved several times for for jobs. So I'm interested a little bit in just your experience of going from one place to another. But I'm also interested in, you know, when you when you arrive at the Minnesota Orchestra. You know, you evaluate the opportunity there. What were some of the things that you thought, oh, boy, I, this is a really great opportunity for these reasons. Here's what they have that's great. Here's where they, you know, we can, I can bring improvements. Here's where I can really add value. Just talk, talk briefly just about that experience. Sure, sure. So uh, 
you know, moving from one city to another has a whole bunch of logistical um, matters attached to it. You know, uh, realizing at the end of the first week of work that I don't know where a dry cleaner is so that I can get the next week of work is one thing. Right. Um, you know, those those life things like right. where, where is the dentist? How do I, you know, find this or that? Yeah. Um, so that in and of itself is a little bit disorienting. Um, but then uh, the kind of the larger challenge and exciting opportunity when you move is to really get to understand the um, the culture of the community that you're moving into mm -hmm. because every community is different and every organization is different. So I feel like culture seems to be a theme of our conversation, yeah, sure. uh, but it has so many points of relevance. Um, so, you know, the culture in one city is going to be different than the next and and understanding that, and you can't figure that out overnight. It takes some period of time of engaging with members of the community and getting to know your colleagues before you can really figure that out and understand, you know, how do I assimilate into this different culture? And where are those kind of uh, points where I think, oh gosh, I'm probably not ever going to fully assimilate into this, hmm. um, but I'm going to bring my own way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, continuing to be true to yourself and your own personality and style and approach um, through that process. So, uh, so that is an interesting exploration. Um, it certainly was in the move from Chicago to Dallas and then from Dallas to Minneapolis. Um, plus, so a plus lot of things to, more, to think about. More snow, more snow in Minneapolis, right? Uh, yes, Dallas. generally uh -huh. speaking, that is true. <laughs> 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 more snow in a single day. Yeah, right, than in a whole year. That's exactly right. Um, so so uh, a, a pretty tactical question, but what are the, what are the key metrics you use to to run the business you know what are the, like the three things you look at okay i need to see this this and this i understand the health of the business mm -hmm. absolutely so i think of three metrics um and one can slice and dice you know that question a million different ways mm -hmm. but very high level i think of the first metric as musical excellence mm, you know okay. is our is our orchestra performing at the highest possible level? Are we attracting the very finest musicians into the orchestra? Are we playing um, repertoire that um, uh, is uh, attractive and embracing our audience and our community? So musical excellence is the first metric. The second is financial sustainability. You know, what do our ticket sales look like? What does our fundraising look like? Um, therefore, what does our cash flow look like? Mm -hmm. um, so there are little, you know, certainly there's a subset of metrics under each of the matters. Mm -hmm. And then the third is something we've been talking about quite a bit is positive experience. Um, that's a metric. I want to make sure that anybody who comes in contact with the organization, that means somebody who is working on the staff. It means our musicians. It means our music director, our board members 
our concert goers and audience members. It also means every vendor who comes in contact with someone here at the organization walks away having had a positive experience and therefore is inclined to spread the word about how great this organization is, spread that word to people that they know, um, and thus perpetuating um, our audience for the future. So musical excellence, financial sustainability, and positive experience are kind of the three metrics broad base that I look at, and yeah. the whole subset in each of those areas. Sure. So you mentioned a, a few ways. I'm not going to ask you how you measure financial sustainability, because I think that most listeners will point to a, a financial metric of their own. Um, but what, what, are some of the, what are some of the ways you measure positive experience? Well, uh, one of the things that we do here at the Minnesota Orchestra, which I'm so happy about, is that we survey audience members after they have come to a concert and ask for their feedback. Mm -hmm. And we fit, which is really wonderful. Um, and we are able to understand from that feedback, um, was it a positive experience for that person? And um, would they come again? Uh, so that's something pretty tangible that we do. Yeah. Um, something else is just uh, kind of gathering anecdotal information from our ushers and greeters mm. at Orchestra Hall. What are you hearing from patrons? Are people coming up to you to express concerns? Or did they say on their way out the door, what a fantastic concert, and I loved XYZ about my experience, whatever that may be specifically. Sure. So, uh, so having getting that feedback from our colleagues who are you know, on site and in communication with our concert goers on a regular basis. Um, I think that another way that we will certainly be gathering that information will be through the performance appraisal process mm -hmm. with staff colleagues and, um, you know, understanding our colleagues having a good experience. What does morale look like? Um, so that, I think, is something that we will be uh, addressing. I haven't been here a full year to be a part of that process yet, mm -hmm. but we'll be coming up on that in the next few months. Um, and then we also have opportunities already twice. Um, our board chair and I have been in a full orchestra meeting with members of the orchestra with our musicians to do a Q&A session. Mm. What are musicians feeling? What are the questions that they have? What would they like to see uh, the organization do? What is their vision for the future direction and trajectory of the Minnesota Orchestra? So those are a few examples. That's just great to hear. I, you know, I don't think it's a secret that understanding your colleagues uh, and, and a, you know, what their day is like is, is important. But it's really, I love the idea that you talk to the ushers who in many ways are the 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 you know camp counselors who help someone who help someone through the the program right find the place they're supposed to be and and make sure that it's a comfortable environment and make sure that there aren't people distracting and that's got to be I bet you get some really rich information from there and yeah I mean talking to the full orchestra just like a town hall style thing I'm sure what's what do you see what do you want how does this work um, I bet you just get some incredibly rich information from those meetings. Absolutely. And I would say uh, as a 
as a general statement, when individuals, regardless of what constituency they're a part of, have something to share, I hear about it. I receive emails and letters with some frequency from people who either have a concern or who just want to share a really positive experience um, that they, you know, that they had. Great. That's really great. Yeah. Now it's, it's, um, I, I love hearing about the metrics. Uh, every single person I interview has a financial metric, but everybody also has the, you know, a couple of different things that they, that they track. So it's really fun to hear ab about what those are. Uh, shift gears a little bit about mentorship. So you had mentioned uh, a mentor you had at the, at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Somebody taught you, the, the person taught you, you know, the answer is yes. Uh, let's talk a little bit about mentors. So, you know, is it just the one that you've had? Have you had many? What were they important in, in helping you accomplish? Talk, talk a little bit about mentorship, if you will. Yeah, I uh, feel so fortunate that I have had several really um, valued mentors in my career, all of whom I uh, continue to be in touch with on a regular basis. Uh, I had um, my colleague Elizabeth Hurley at the Chicago Symphony, who I've referenced a couple of times in our conversation today. Uh, the person who I worked with also for many years at the Chicago Symphony and who I met during my internship with the CSO when I was in college was Henry Fogel, who was the executive director of the Chicago Symphony for years and years and years and is very much an icon in the orchestra field. Um, he is the person who first said to me, hmm, have you heard about this fellowship program <laughs> mm -hmm. that American Orchestras has? And I said, well, interestingly, I have, but what do you know about it? Right. And that's the conversation that, you know, uh, kind of led me into that opportunity with the fellowship and ultimately into being hired at the Chicago Symphony when Henry was the executive director there. And then I would say another mentor who has um, been pivotal in my career is Jonathan Martin, who, when I went to the Dallas Symphony Orchestra, was the president and CEO there. Mm -hmm. uh, now is the president and CEO of the Cincinnati Symphony. And um, he is somebody who helped me um, move from a development, a fundraising focus, um, to broader responsibilities within the Dallas Symphony Orchestra by promoting me to chief operating officer, mm -hmm. very much under his wing, you know, has showed me the ropes of what else I would need to know about orchestra management in order to expand my role. Mm. And, uh, and that ultimately, through a series of um, circumstances and good opportunities, led me here to the Minnesota Orchestra, yeah. where I have uh, the president and CEO role here. Oh, that's great. I, you know, what's neat is you uh, have all these people's names in your head and freely share them. Uh, that's <laughs> so great. Each one has a, has a really influential story. So um, thanks for sharing that. Uh, having, having multiple mentors, I think is an interesting, and, and, and most of the, the people that I interview have certainly have more than one because there's different periods of your life when you have different periods that are people who are influential there. 
uh, but I really appreciate you sharing that. And then, well, I got one last question for you. I know you're probably sitting there like, okay, it's time. Stop asking me questions. Um, Hopefully you've got a glass of water uh, to take a break. But I'd, I'd love to know your advice for people who are starting their careers. What would you say to somebody if they came to you and said, "Well, I'm I'm starting my career. I I, I would like to understand a little bit of a little bit of what I should expect, a little bit of wisdom from you. What what advice would you give?" Go above and beyond every time you can. Hmm. It is something that I think makes the difference in a person new to career in their ability to learn a lot quickly. You learn by doing, you learn by observing. So um, be true to the role that you have been hired to do. Make sure that you understand what your goals and objectives are um, that your supervisor has established for you that relate to the strategic goals of the institution. Um, But within that, uh, make sure that you're always identifying things that you can do to go above and beyond. What would you like to observe, even if you're not going to be doing work in a particular area, but what would you like to know about that will ultimately enhance your experience and understanding of the organization or the industry that you're in? Um, And who can help you? Who are those mentors that you can go to to say, gosh, I'd really love to learn more about what you do. Um, Could I you know, follow you to this meeting or could you, would you be willing to spend uh, a couple of hours with me talking about how you go about your work or what that entails or how it relates to the job responsibilities that I have? Um, You know, I think that there is among managers a real value placed on on people that you can turn to. I certainly have uh, across my career valued those colleagues who I know if I go to them, they will help and they will do a good job. And they won't say, well, that's not my job, Mm -hmm. Um, but they will understand the inherent value of doing something different, extra, additional, supplemental. and they will grow from that experience, and ultimately that will be good for the institution that they are a part of. So, um, you know, I just recently was speaking with a group of undergraduate students, and the question came up, well, I'm worried that I'll get a job and they'll ask me to do things that are not in the job description. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow. If you find a job like that where they don't ask you to do things under that other duties as assigned bullet point to the job description, I will be amazed. Um, But I said, think about it, you know, think about it this way. Think about that as an opportunity. You want to be the person that your boss comes to. You want to be the person that somebody can rely upon because when another position opens up that might be a step up, you're the person they're going to think of. And maybe they will do that search internally as opposed to doing a full external search if they feel like they have a gem right there in their own team already that they can promote. Oh, thank you so much. I, you know, go above and beyond every time you can is, is a great piece of advice and a really excellent explanation about not only what it means but how to do it. 
Michelle, thank you so much. I mean, this is <laughs> very interesting, number one, but really motivating, uh, number two, to hear your views on on culture and business and just how a, an employee should should interact in an organization. Uh, really, thank you for your time. Uh, um, I, so valuable that you spent it with me here. I really appreciate that. Uh, and I, I look forward to to speaking with you again. Wonderful. Thank you, Jason. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Talent Playbook Podcast with our guest, Michelle Miller-Burns, President and CEO of the Minnesota Orchestra. If you'd like to learn more about Michelle or the Minnesota Orchestra, you can find Michelle on LinkedIn at Michelle Miller-Burns, B-U-R-N-S. And you can check out the Minnesota Orchestra at minnesotaorchestra.org. Subscribe and download this podcast on iTunes and Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and the Outmatch website, outmatch.com. Thank you to Michelle Miller-Burns for her time, and also thank Gwen Pappas for helping make Michelle available to tell the story. I'd also like to thank my mother, Marilyn Benuska, and my friend Rich Good for promoting and advocating for Michelle to be on the podcast. Thanks also to Charles Summers and Chris Gardner at Outmatch for their technical assistance. Our theme music is composed by Chris Gardner. Until next time, this is Jason Ferrara saying thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.